0: It's another Books of the Year podcast, already from your friends at Books of the Year. We have
1: taken on board a number of people's feelings that there was too big a gap between uh, our episodes, and now they are coming thick and fast. Uh,
0: the, the gap is usually because of A, Mozart, B, yes.
1: horses. horses and Mozart, together at last. So many times they come together. Ski Sunday. Ski Sunday. That was
0: Wolfgang's (laughs) biggest hit. Anyway, I said I'd update you about my... Yes, uh,
1: about your book. Okay, so where we got to was you are still writing... And you're going to people's houses, to ma- or you went somewhere that you're not allowed to tell us yes, to be able to. Because I remember when you were writing uh, Mad Blood Rising. Stirring. The Stirring and the Stirring. Mad Blood, blood Stirring. stirring. That's the name of the book, right? Um, so that you went to. The mad you, and yeah, the Blood. The Blood and the stirring. stirring, yes. Um, that it's you went a to. a book from Shakespeare. Y- I know, it's. I, I it's- <laughs> Bloomin' Juliet. <laughs> I, know, I know, I've read it. Um, is that you went to Dartmoor? And that I featured did. very well. Obviously, it is a central part of the book. Yes. But um, is that? I remember you talking about how it looked from as you f- when you first saw it, yes. and how amazing that was. So, without revealing where it is, you've been for the day. Newmore is that yes. going to play a, as big a role? No, no, uh, but possibly, as in. As, As in, in, it just
0: appears at the denouement when everyone's shot. Yeah, I think so. I think it's still, it's still a bit of a mystery. The, the, main, the main issue is the title of the book. So the title was uh, X, right? And then, okay. and then everyone said, I don't know about X. So I said, how about Y? And they went, oh, that's quite good. I quite like Y. Okay. So it's been Y. And now people are saying, mm, not sure about Y. And I said, well, you just told me it was quite a good title. Oh. You like Y. Okay. Shall I go back to X? We go, well, yeah. maybe there's a Z. I don't know. Okay. How many
1: words in the title? I think it should be short
0: and punchy. Yes, why don't yes. you just choose? Why don't you just give me a two-word title and I'll two-word
1: title. Uh, well, you've got to have blood in there. Have, no, you can't uh, have blood because you have okay, blood look, in the last one. Well, we're gonna going to talk to Emma John in a yes. minute.
0: Why don't you find two words from her book? Two words. Open the page. Randomly, shove your finger in the page and tell uh, me what the book is called. Family and. It's not a promising start. It?
1: Yes. Boone? family boon, family a, Boone. Oh, a, possibly right. the okay, worst. I'm okay. No, no. Okay, havoc. There you go. Yes, there's okay. havoc, havoc, and instrument. Havoc instrument. Oh, I'd read that. Would you want it? to pass that on? This is gold. Havoc instrument by Simon Mayo.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think havoc was pretty good. Havoc instruments yeah. a little Hi, bit. More.
1: Havoc instrument. Wow. There you go. I can already see the film. Do you think? Havoc Instrument with Clive Owen. I think we can do better than that. Oh, really? Ooh. He's quite it's good there. i a Liverpool fan. John McDonald. Still not that one, I'm going to guess.
0: Well, the uh, <laughs> yes. Shadow Chancellor and go. Trot. Yes. Do you mean him? Yes, I do. Yeah, But okay. it's not him. Hashtag Goodread, hashtag Reveal. Hashtag Robbie Williams, hashtag Chris Heath, was the first book slash guest featured on the fantastic Books of the Year podcast, listened to exactly a year ago, while at lovely Santa Ponza in Mallorca. Is that a place? Santa Ponza. Sounds a bit made up. But anyway, yeah, go on. <laughs> it's like reading a reality TV show with Rob, fearlessly honest and funny throughout. Very good. So that, this must mean we're a year old.
1: We're a year old. Imagine that. We've been going for a year. a year. I thought we'd been going for like a decade.
0: Yes, it does feel
1: longer. Uh, Neris, uh, rhymes with um, Car- Neris rhymes with whatever. <laughs> Neris rhymes with Keris. There you go. Hi to both and also to the mysterious HQ, which is obviously our producer. Uh, Matt, are you aware that in Itch, Simon managed to get a reference to, into a particular Cornwall-based confession? I did, yeah. I read Itch at Christmas last year and gave Simon a silent round of applause at that bit. It's the goat confession. Oh, it's really? Just,
0: it's just a passing okay. reference to, to the knowledge yeah, of a yeah. goat disappearing. That was the kind showed. of
1: podcast that we, or, uh, confession that we were not allowed to read no, out. because it involves animals. Animals and a whole. Um, Simon, I know where yes. you got the idea for Blame and Mad Blood Stirring. Well, don't forget the name, right? Uh, where did the idea for Itch come from? I know it was written because Child 3, I think. Child was 1. Chi- child 3, I oh, think. Oh, no, Child 3. Yeah. No. Yes, yes, Child 3. Because Child 3 very was struggling to find books he wanted to read. But as someone who says he has no particular sciencey leanings or credentials, yes. how did you come up with the idea for a teen
0: element hunter? Uh, because... Very good question. Though, yeah, very good question, way. yes. Um, I was... I'm a big Apple fan, and I, I had the iPad on order, so when, it came, when the very first one came out, I had one delivered on the first day. Okay. And one of the early apps, one of the early great apps, which Stephen Fry was always going on about, was the, um, there was an interactive periodic table. It cost 14 quid or something. It was a lot of money for, uh, for an app. Yeah. Anyway, it was fantastic. And in that, it used the phrase Element Hunter, which I'd never heard of before, which is the name of someone who collects the periodic table. And I thought who, that's a great thing, if you were 14, who wouldn't want to be an element hunter? Absolutely. So yeah. so the phrase came from there. I assumed someone else had written it first, and it turned out that they hadn't. So I thought I would.
1: Excellent. So. And, and
0: and what a fabulous idea it turned into as well.
1: Um, uh, Neris continues. I read the itch, There's more. itch rocks at Easter. My favourite bit in that was the slightly saucy Titanium and arsenic. I was quite pleased with that. Yeah. Well, someone falls.
0: Someone falls down and uh, says, uh, "And there's some." No, no, no. The reference is you wouldn't know your titanium from your arsenic.
1: Oh, very good. And this is obviously aimed at. Young adults, isn't it? So yes. yes. Currently reading Itchcraft, only got the last bit to go. I know I'm not at all the intended audience, but I've genuinely enjoyed all three and quietly doffed my hat to you. I know you had input and help from some sciencey folk, but still, you dark horse Dark Horse, horse dark there's dark a horse, horse There's a They're horse, Lord and Lady Horse. Lord
0: Horse and Lady <laughs> Horse I have contributed. <laughs> If you're going to get in touch with the show, can yeah, you make yeah. a reference to, to, a to a horse or something horsey? Something
1: equine. I mean, you so, could. you know, thank Lubs. you for reading the book. That's
0: very nice. But <laughs> Matt can feel a little bit left yes, out.
1: Yeah, no. No, don't, don't feel duty-bound. There you go.
0: And this one uh, is communication comes from Honey, an email to books of the year at yahoo.com. Excellent. Hello, hey, Honey. Honey. If you need any sexy, smooth voice tags, beat tags, DJ drops, vocal effects, whatever voiceovers for your beats, productions, <laughs> songs, mixtapes, radio stations, and more, check out my gig on Fiverr. <laughs> I have over thirty five-star reviews from satisfied customers. Over we've been, 30? We've been wow. spammed yes.
1: by Honey. Honey. Well, it's a step up, isn't it? Because we did have uh, your man getting in contact with us, offering us a huge amount of money if we would just give him our yeah. banking details. So, um, unfortunately, I don't think we need any sexy, smooth voice tags right now. What would that sound like? Hey, hey, this is Honey.
0: (laughs) You're listening to Books of the Year. We can do our own sexy voice tags. Very, very sexy. Anyway, and Honey didn't mention a horse. No, no. So sorry,
1: Honey. None of that.
0: Anyway, um, that's all very good. If you want to get in touch, you can email booksoftheyearyahoo.com or you can tweet us at Books of the Year. Please
1: do. Yes.
0: So here we go with another one of our very fine Books of the Year here on the Books of the Year podcast. And I'm delighted to say Emma John is here with her book Wayfaring Stranger. And here's the very important bit. It's not just called Wayfaring Stranger. It's not. No, It's called Wayfaring Stranger, A Musical Journey in the American South, because Wayfaring Stranger is uh, is a song title. It's also a book by one of my favorite American writers. Uh, so, but it's not that. It's not that, <laughs> no. Okay, no. It's Emma John's latest. Hello, Emma John. Hello. How are you?
2: Uh, I'm good. I do love a subtitle.
0: But it's very when well, It's very important. So um, this is. Uh, I I I love this book. It's it's beautifully written. It. Uh, I was downloading bluegrass music uh, yesterday, and I walked into work listening to. Is it Flame Keepers?
2: Yes, Michael Cleveland Hymns. and Flame Keeper. Yes, Try amazing l- fiddle player.
0: It was just. Terrific, and I was, and I had a, a smile on my face all the way to the tube station because I was listening to bluegrass. Uh, anyway, so explain, wayfaring stranger, where the idea came from and what you got up to.
2: Well, the idea came because I, I play fiddle. Um, I actually had trained when I was a teenager as a classical violinist and I had done all the grades you know that you do one two three four five six seven eight diploma. Uh, I, I went to a music college on the weekends and so I was, I was pretty good That was all right you know uh, but I didn't become a professional musician and the thing is if you're kind of slightly overtrained uh, in classical music uh, and you don't go on to do it professionally you, you have all these skills you don't ever really use and I spent Ten years with my violin in a case. I didn't even want to pick it up. Honestly, I fell totally out of love with it. And then the summer of Mumford and Sons came around. Remember that summer, twenty yeah. ten? Uh, <laughs> you couldn't avoid them. They were everywhere, and they were playing, you know, this acoustic string music that had a banjo in it. So everyone called it bluegrass. It's not, by the way. Spoiler alert. But what is I, it? What is it? Then? It's 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 pop, folk pop. Um, Having a banjo does not automatically make (laughs) you bluegrass, but that's something that in Britain we don't understand because we don't have the tradition of bluegrass. So I I would hear these kind of new folk bands, as they were called, and often they did have some fiddle lines in there, and I thought, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I've never heard a violin played like that before. I think I I might be able to do that. And so I went, uh, (laughs) I don't do things by halves, and I went out to North Carolina for a month just as a little kind of taster. I thought but I'll find somewhere where bluegrass is played and I'll see if I can go and play It's social music you see you can go and you can just go and join in in jams you don't have to go and find a band it's it's a it's played as folk music so I went out over there uh within one day literally within 24 hours I had discovered a that uh, Blue- Mumford and Sons do not play bluegrass <laughs> <laughs> and what I was what I was hearing at the jams was absolutely nothing like I'd ever heard before and within one week I had discovered it was the most fascinating music I had ever come across with incredible histories stories feuding narratives, uh, gender politics, uh, politic politics, and I was obsessed with it. Within a week, I thought, do you know, I'd love to write a book about this.
0: I do realise that um, Matt hasn't done his usual job of describing the cover uh, No, so, do you want to describe the oh yes the let's cover? describe the cover <laughs> and it, is,
1: it shouts out Americana it does uh, this, uh, so and I'm assuming the, the cover that we're looking at at the moment this is the cover that's going to be in the bookshop that is it is cover. excellent lovely so we've got a billboard uh, that is on as I say that really sort of solid uh, American landscape uh, with hills in the background and Wayfaring Str- Stranger in Orange uh, on that billboard A Musical Journey in the American South and Emma's Name at the bottom I like Simon love this book and here's the thing, Emma. I, um, th- there'll be people who are fam- familiar with your writing uh, in The Guardian. Um, I uh, came across your writing. You did a book called Following On uh, a few years ago about uh, the England cricket team. And I loved that book. And But the reason why I loved it was because it was funny. But I'd always wondered to myself. Well, I, I flatter myself that I know a little bit about cricket. Was the reason why I connected with that book so strongly because you were funny, or because I knew a bit about cricket? And I didn't know anything about bluegrass, and I love this book, and it's so funny. So it's clearly your writing, Emma, <laughs> oh, is hooray. right, right, exactly, right, at, right, at the heart of it. And it opens with my idea of hell, which is you. And this happens so, by the time this happens a few times during the book. You are in a circle of people, and you are going to have to play at some point we're all We're all having a jam, and that's great and I'm thinking I could just about cope with that as long as i'm not heard at any point as long as i'm sort of part of the collective that's okay. please don't come to me to do a solo and they do! And it was slightly gratifying that you were experiencing that, that same kind of dread.
2: Yeah, you can't get away with it in Bluegrass. It's this very democratic music where you do sit in a circle and everybody is expected to take a solo at some stage. So you, I actually did kind of develop techniques to try and avoid it, like looking at my shoes and <laughs> looking like, closing my eyes pretending I was so into yeah, the yeah. music that, uh, oh, oh dear, did I just miss the nod? Oh, what a shame. Um, yeah, it is. It's like some people's absolute worst nightmare um, you know the kind of especially because I had no background in bluegrass music so I even though I can play my instrument you know the, 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 the actual technique and basics of playing a violin not beyond me but I had no background in any of this music it's very improvisatory music that's the that's the biggest problem for a classical player who is used to reading everything off a sheet uh, and who also is taught perfectionism from a very early age well Bluegrass and folk music, the absolute opposite. A, you need to be able to make things up on the spot. And B, you really need to be able to not mind if you play something wrong. Is,
1: isn't that right at the heart of this, though? Mm. Is that the people that you encounter do this because they love it. They absolutely love it. And they get so much fun out of it. Whereas it felt like if you play the violin in this country, it's, as you say, everything's got to be perfection. And, and it's somewhat off-putting for that very reason.
2: I, exactly. I, I found myself having to really rewrite my whole psychology while I was over there because I would just get really frustrated. It was just a sort of story of kind of, oh, I want to be able to do this, but, but mostly I want to be able to feel what these people feel. I used to watch my friends uh, playing with each other in jams and there would be these looks that went between them. And honestly, they were almost like romantic looks. It was just this, this intimacy, this connection that people could have through music. And I had never had that
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: in, in you know a couple of decades of, of playing at quite a high level.
0: I've always... Wanted to go to the Appalachian Mountains. I've always thought it would be somewhere that I would like to go, but never have ever made it. Now I've read this book, and I really do want to make it a life goal. It's, you know, <laughs> um, at some at some stage, even though I can't play the violin at all, so I'm not even going to be trying it on uh, on your level. But the way you go into it, the, the way I think a lot of people will will join in with this, is that you're writing this more of an anthrop- as an anthropologist, really. So we are yes there's the music but also you are a stranger in a strange land
2: it, and it is a very strange land <laughs> it's it's really quite remote some of the some of the appalachian uh, towns and communities i was i was visiting uh, it's it is the american south and people have this very strong idea of the american south but i think also people tend to think if people go on holidays to the south they might go to nashville in tennessee for the music they might go to new orleans in louisiana um the appalachians doesn't get visited as much uh, maybe maybe people who like a bit of hiking because the mountains are so beautiful and i'm not even a fan of mountains but they there is something like that is a soothing balm about because they're covered in trees there's not not a stone crag in sight they just look lush and beautiful but yeah the people are um they're very very different to me uh but so welcoming and so keen to share their culture their music uh so excited to meet somebody British, being British is quite exotic there.
0: Um, Slightly, I mean, you you, you do touch on this, um, but anyone who has read any American history knows, and you talk a lot about uh, southern hospitality, but there's a dark side to American history and a dark side to southern uh, American hospitality as well, so that while they're very respectful and very welcoming, there's a very dark side to to the plantations and the history uh, of slaves over there. And I wondered... What you had said to yourself before you went, did you say, I'm not going to get involved, I'm there to be a guest, I'm there to learn. Was there a point at which you said, actually, the stuff that I'm listening to here is so wrong that I need to say something?
2: That's a really good question. I definitely, as I went over, definitely the, the former, I thought... Almost as a journalist as well, you know, it's not just as a kind of I'm a guest, which is true, uh, but also as a journalist and observer, knowing that I was going to be writing about it. I thought, well, I want people to be able I want to hear the real South and I want to hear the real Appalachians and I want to know what's really going on. So I'm not going to get immediately defensive, but absolutely, the longer you stay there, um, the more you feel a uh, responsibility to speak out if you hear something. Uh, that that was the, what I the goal I set myself actually that was the thing I said to, I said to myself, I hear anything that is um, putting somebody else down, that's the point at which I'm going to speak. If somebody's talking about their politics and they want to tell me why they think Trump is fantastic and what whatever it is that that is something I disagree with, I will listen because I think I also have a duty to listen. but the moment somebody says something uh, that is offensive. Um, or, or discriminates against anybody, I will speak, and I, I did find myself in quite a few situations. You do, oh, you
1: that. do that in the book as well. There is, there is a, there is a uh, well, there's one episode I'm thinking of in particular where someone says something, and, and you put your hand up and say, actually, no. That's not
2: okay. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's you know, it's awkward, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're British and, like, we don't... I, I certainly don't like conflict. And I also, you know, not only do I not like conflict, I don't feel like I'm, you know, th- the best person to take on a political argument. I'm not that smart. I'm not that well-informed. But... Um, I think talking is really important. And I think you gain a lot of trust and respect from meeting people in the music. And if if I think a lot of my friends who are out there, you know, a lot of my American friends who are out there, uh, who have liberal, um, or even just centrist views, feel that that is a way they can, um, they can gain people's trust, respect, and then talk to them and push back on some of these things that that they don't agree
0: and with. <clears throat> One of the things I did enjoy the most about the book is the way you lift the lid on a culture that we don't, as you've said we're not a part of we don't understand we have a stereotypical view of a hillbilly we might have seen the hills have eyes when we were teenagers which i did and thought that was <laughs> terrifying and don't want to see it ever again um and we have a particular soundtrack or a banjo track that we, that we might be thinking but you introduce us to a, like a, this secret world of bluegrass where there is progressive bluegrass and there is hard bluegrass and there is spacey blue <laughs> space grass you know and i think that's that's fantastic i, I
2: yeah way. i definitely feel like people don't realize that in this genre is huge it's 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 it covers so much such an enormous spectrum and um, even more importantly and this is one of the this is one of the current tensions uh, and sources of conflict in bluegrass is that really Ever since the 50s, there has always been this progressive element to bluegrass that wants to push it in different directions, that wanted to incorporate jazz, that wanted to take it as far as it could. And that has always been the direction that bluegrass has gone in. So it's very interesting. It still has this incredible hardcore tradition, which is located primarily in the South and which wants to, you know, fair enough, wants to make sure that that kind of bluegrass never dies out. But it kind of positions itself in direct opposition to the new sounds that people are creating. It always wants to say, that ain't bluegrass. And,
1: but it's interesting because you, you raise this in the book that there was a point, um, I'm, I'm going to say 40, 50 years ago, where bluegrass could have died out had it not been saved by those very sort of liberal enclaves in, I think it's New York and yeah. or certainly sort of northeast of, uh, of America.
2: Exactly, that's right. There was the, It was the folk revival of the uh, late 50s, early 60s, Newport um, ja- uh, Newport Folk Festival. Uh-huh. 59 I think was the first one and um, yeah it was it was a bunch of teenagers and students and um, anti-Vietnam War protesters these kind of people the Pete Seegers who really like took Bluegrass up uh, really kept it going gave it a whole new audience otherwise it would have really stayed so niche in the south and as a result of that there are now people there's now a college in Boston uh, Berkeley College of Music that is pretty much it is the place that births the the new great bluegrass musician I, and the southerners will hate me for saying that i mean i you know i really apologize to them obviously there's loads of great young players in the south you know who are who learn it at their daddy's knee and all the rest of it but but the people who were taking it A, to new places musically, and B, to new audiences, crucially, are the people like Chris Thiele, who's actually from the West Coast. Yeah, Punch Uh,
0: Brothers. Punch Brothers. Those those
2: people are the people who, they're winning Grammys. They're like, you know, he is hosting an NPR show where he puts bluegrasses, and and they are listened to all over America and beyond.
0: Chris Thiele did a, he played at the Radio 2 Folk Awards a few years ago, and he did a, a mandolin piece, which I think it was Stephen Fry said it was the, might have been Mark Ellen. Anyway, someone in Word magazine said it was the greatest solo Piece of music they had ever heard wow. from anyone because Chris Thile is just an astonishing musician.
2: He's he's a genius. I, he's actually officially a genius because he won the MacArthur Fellowship award and that is uh, called the Genius Grant. <laughs> <laughs> so he is he is definitely a genius, and um, he he is also very intimidating in the sense that I think he once said. Certainly, one of my musician friends told me that he'd said this: "If you're not practicing eight hours a day, you're not getting any better." <laughs> I did not
0: do did that. Did they see did they see you as a complete outsider because obviously a you are a complete outsider but also or did any of them acknowledge the fact that some of this music did come you know from the from uh, from the UK from the Celtic traditions and also there's a big Welsh tradition in the Appalachian mountains was that acknowledged
2: Absolutely, yeah. That was. I mean, again, the British accent just did me so well over there because the first thing anybody ever wanted to do uh, when they after they'd heard my accent, especially if I'd been on stage and somebody said, "Oh, talk into the microphone, Emma," they, uh, I would suddenly have all these people would come up to me at the end and say they wanted to tell me about all their British antecedents because everyone there claims british ancestry and uh, there was a lot of you know oh i'm scots irish or you know all oh, my family's welsh um, i mean they were talking like 20 generations back mm. but, but yes because there's such a close connection and because the music bluegrass music Bluegrass music comes from the music of the mountains and the music of the mountains came over from the Scots-Irish. It's Irish fiddle and Scottish ballads uh, that were played by many of the Ulster Scots who, who came across on the boats in the 17th, 18th century. And those songs would just live on in the mountains. And again, because the mountains were so isolated and remote and because people had no other form of entertainment and were dirt poor. Those songs just went on and on, and they were passed down. They evolved a little, but um, but there still there are songs that are still recorded and sung today that have been around for two hundred years.
0: What did they make of your two hundred and eighty year old violin
2: <laughs> they loved it <laughs> they absolutely loved it. I mean everybody said you know it 's older than the American constitution, so <laughs> they, they just loved holding a piece of history in their hands. Uh, I actually found my violin was a really good way in to make friends with people because there were so many brilliant, brilliant fiddlers who I met who were playing on what I consider boxes, (laughs) you know, boxes with strings. And it was just such a joy to be able to hand them uh, a really beautiful old German violin and say, please, have at it.
1: uh, But but also you talk about the fact you couldn't leave the violin in your car, not because you thought somebody might rob it, but because... Because it's so hot over there, if you leave a violin in the car, the glue dries out and suddenly no violin.
2: Yeah, and I did actually... I can't even remember if I said this in the book. I don't think I did. I bought myself a second one while I was over there. I bought myself a fiddle. I mean, there is no difference between a violin and a fiddle, by the way, uh, just in case anybody was wondering. But I bought myself what I called my bluegrass fiddle, which was a heck of a lot cheaper. And that was something that I didn't mind having at a festival campground knowing I'm going to play this all day and if something happened to it, I I wouldn't be so upset.
0: How much of this is a book about bluegrass and how much of it is a book about Emma getting her mojo back?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's quite a lot about ever getting. I, d- I didn't mean it to be. That was the really that's funny what, thing.
0: That's what makes it more interesting. You <laughs> think, okay, well, it obviously is about bluegrass, but it's actually it's actually all about you. Also thinking. oh, Okay, this is this is great.
2: I think the longer I grappled with the music, and the longer I spent out there, and by the way, I meant to be out there six months and I fell in love with it so hard that I uh, actually it sort of got extended to two years um, but really the longer I was there the more I just realized wow my relationship with music is so skewy and then the more that I realized my relationship with music was a bit weird the more I thought am I, am I a bit weird <laughs> <laughs> is this is this something to do with me and my emotions and and I think when you go to a different place and when you live in a different place, don't you just discover a different side of you? And in this case, I discovered a side of me that I liked so
0: much more. (laughs) Are you going to go back?
2: Oh I, I go back all the time. I've been back this year. I'm I the people especially in the little town of Boone which I which uh sort of becomes a character of its own in the book. Uh that town and the people in it are so special to me. I can't stay away. I you know I've been back twice a year since um since I went out there the first time and any excuse I've, I'll be back there in September. There's a there's a giant bluegrass uh, sort of end of summer festival that happens and I'll be back for that.
0: There's a bit right at the end of the book, which I read one way. You probably wrote it and intended it another way. But you say, I'd like to thank the Eagles for all their support. And I, <laughs> and I thought, wow. <laughs> this is a, yes. yeah. this is Wait, a woman why with why connections. Was that in the book. Yeah, I Don Henley. He's Wow. He doesn't appear, but just at the end. Just at just the end. Yeah. Just like the Eagles. Uh, <laughs> always, always, always been a yeah. fan. Yeah. <laughs> I am imagining that's a family of people it's, called the it's Eagles. Not, it's
2: not a family called the Eagles. That's so funny that you picked that up, because I never even thought of the band when I wrote that, Who's and it? it's a really good point. Um, who is it then? They. I've, I have a group of friends who uh, we have gone on holiday together uh, once or twice a year for the last six, seven years. We're, you know, my little gang of, gang of mates. And the first time we went on holiday together, it's eight people. Um, we stayed in a place called the Eagles Nest, and so ever since we've called ourselves the Eagles.
0: All oh right, and it never occurred to you. Okay, but anyway, <laughs> that's what, what I wouldn't tell that story. I no, would just no. say while you were in Boone, Don Henley and the guys wandered on through, and they th- and they really liked your work. And so, thanks to the Eagles for all their yes. support. In the there future. you go. Yeah. Um, what are you going to be working on next, Emma? Do you know what your next project is? Or... Uh,
2: I have I have a couple of ideas. Um, I've, I've, there's another book I'd like to write, but I've talked to absolutely nobody about it, so I feel like oh, it okay. would be a bit strange to, <laughs> yeah,
1: suddenly, reveal to it suddenly
2: reveal it now. Yeah. Uh, the only reason I haven't talked to anybody about it is I haven't quite got it straight in my head. But it's, it would be... I really like this way of... Uh, writing personally at the same time as grappling with a subject. That's what I did with the cricket book. Correct. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah, I've yeah. done with bluegrass. Now, yeah. cricket and bluegrass are both extremely niche subjects, I would say. You have a lot of crossover, <laughs> I mean, no, I And also, yes, I mean, I'm pretty much the only person standing in the middle of that <laughs> yeah. Venn diagram. Yeah. But there is something in my life that is uh, a, a, an experience that is both unique to me but also not unique to me and that I would... Uh, that, uh, that I would like to look at that's to do with women throughout history and something I would like to write about, uh, f- which, again, from a slightly personal point of view.
0: Okay, that's vaguely... Li- vague you've I got to keep it vague or yes, else someone absolutely. nicks the idea. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Emma John's book is Wayfaring Stranger, a musical journey in the American South. The reason I mention that is that James Lee Burke is one of my favourite writers, and he wrote a book called Wayfaring Stranger. So if you're ordering it, which I know you're going to be, make sure you, you could order both. But yes, make sure you, yeah. it's Wayfaring Stranger by Emma John. That's that's yeah, yeah, the key. Yeah, yeah. Not Super. by James Lee Burke. No. no. <laughs> Emma, thank you very much. Thank you.